When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've been following along with Good 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 for very long at all, you might already know about our guest today, Devin Allen. Devin is a photographer out of Baltimore who is one of the first photographers on the scene after Freddie Gray was killed by the police in 2015 and protests broke out in response. His photos of the protests spread everywhere and they were shared by Beyonce and Rihanna and then went on to grace the cover of Time and line the walls of the Smithsonian. And all of this eventually led to Devin being given some incredible opportunities, including traveling the world with Steph Curry and Under Armour. And while all of this is incredible and reason enough for Devin to be a guest on Sounds Good, I am truly in awe of the way that he's used his growing platform to give back to his community. As he gained notoriety, Devin began mentoring youth in his community on photography, giving them donated cameras, offering photography lessons, and providing them opportunities. Ultimately, giving kids the chance for their story to follow the same trajectory as his own. This episode was originally recorded and aired in 2016, and we wanted to run it again this week. Since this episode originally aired, Devin was featured in a great long-form article in issue one of the Good Newspaper, which is available for just $5 at goodnewspaper.org. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps to success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We deeply believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, dive into nuance, and learn from each other's stories. I loved getting to talk with Devin. It was such a treat. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into this. Okay, I am here with my friend Devin Allen. Devin, thank you so much for joining me on Sounds Good today. No, thank you for having me. Man, I have been a huge fan of you for so long now. I found you on Twitter originally. I read about your story and the amazing ways that your photography is gaining traction and then immediately jumped to Twitter and Instagram to follow along with you. Um, And it's been so fun just getting to know you through pictures for almost a year now, really. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been like a year. I've been like kind of like semi in the spotlight for like a year now. (laughs) Yeah, I want to just kind of jump into this conversation i mean you've been an incredible voice uh in this movement and your work has had so much impact towards bringing about justice in the u.s and i feel like there's probably a lot of people out there who you know they maybe haven't been a part of this conversation that you've been kind of at the core of and i've been trying to understand better and better and so i was wondering if you could kind of break down some big misconceptions that people have about um, what happened in Baltimore, you know, the the events that kind of brought you to where you are today. You know, what are some points of disconnect that maybe 
people who aren't connected to this experience maybe don't understand? Um, a lot of people just got the story wrong, you know, because a lot of people don't didn't know nothing or anything about Baltimore until the death of Freddie Gray. Yeah. But um, like my city is like a very it's it's different. It's a very authentic and very real city, you know, and it's weird because it's like two different sides of my city. So everyone knows Baltimore City is, you know, the harbor, Federal Hill, Canton, you know, all the the pretty sites up on the harbor and the water, but it's a it's a totally different, you know, side of my city, you know, that people are, that don't visit or don't know anything about. A lot of people don't know that my city is like the heroin capital in the United States. More heroin wow. comes through my city than a lot of these other cities. We are, my city's not that big. It takes you about 20, 30 minutes to get about everywhere. But, you know, we average like 200 murders a year. Um, a lot of our schools get shut down, so a lot of our kids are forced to go to, uh, they jam two and three schools into one school. We have a whole bunch of charter schools. They're still cutting funding and things like that. So growing up here is kind of tough. You know, even if you make a transition from the city to the county, it's not. it used to be a big difference. But living, you know, I lived in both, you know, it's a difference, but there's some similarities, even if you do climb the, you know, the anarchy to the middle class, if, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but far as like Freddie Gray and how Baltimore, the light was shine on us, you know, a lot of people look at my city very negatively, you know, and I've been, I've been battling that stigma that comes with the work with my city for like yeah. the past year now, trying to change the perspective, not only in my city, but similar cities. A lot of people look at us as just angry, you know, like we don't care about our city and we just, just destructive. And that's not the case. Um, a lot of people don't understand that like when the death of Freddie Gray came, we broke out into a very peaceful protest for, for days before anything happened. The, um, the initial uprising the day that I took the actual um, cover, you know, we, we marched peacefully. The protesters actually started, before they started destroying police cars, it started off as actually a fist fight between um, Orioles fans, which is our um, baseball team, and some of our younger protesters, um, because we went to protests um, at City Hall, and then we migrated to um, Camden Yards. And there, that's when we met Camden Yards fans, um, and we were called, um, you know, niggas, monkeys, People were getting called monkey lovers, niggas, monkey, nigger lovers, and all types of things. It actually started out as a fight between fans, but it just was just too many protesters. And people made it seem like we just start destroying downtown when you had protesters actually protecting, you know, civilians and protecting oils fans, even ones that were kind of negative, were still getting protected by opposite sides. So when you're talking about you're dealing with kids that's like 18 years old that never left their own community and they don't interact with people from different ethnic backgrounds aside from the Vietnamese or the Chinese people that may own, you know, some hair stores or some liquor stores or, you know, Pakistanis or Indians that own stores within the community, but other than, other than that, they don't interact with too many other people from different ethnic backgrounds or different races. Mm. You know, my city is majority majority black, so you know, f- to be called a nigger for the first time and it's not in a term of endearment as some of the younger people use it, you're going to be furious. <laughs> you know, and that's actually what and that's what actually kicked off. You know, the destroying of the police cars and everything else. You know, like my city is like frustrated, you know, like we live some some parts of Baltimore live like a third world country, you know, um, no grocery stores, nothing near. You have to catch two and three buses to get to the grocery store and you might have one in your community. <laughs> uh, you eat, you grew up eating chicken boxes all day and, you know, not so much healthy food, you know, liquor stores on every corner, but there's no, it's not no healthy Chick-fil-A or no, 
things like that. You know, it's chicken boxes and liquor stores. So that's just like a brief overlook into like how, you know, a lot of these kids, a lot of us um, are growing up between if the, the police don't get you and your peers don't get you, you know, because we live in a jungle, you know, you always in a survival primal state when you're struggling, you know, and you have to turn to the streets to make money, you know, to provide for your family. I have friends that had to sell drugs, you know, because they were young with so many responsibilities that they had to drop out of school, you know, and take care of their younger brothers and sisters because their parents were on drugs, you know, so it's kind of like a dog eat dog world. And that's something that people on the outside, they're not going to see unless they're in the heart of it. And so it's hard to see that, that underlying tension of everything that's happening when all we see is our perspective. Yeah. Like you have a choice, you know, but at the end of the day, when you're like starving and, and you have someone to provide for, you will turn to do, you know, like I said, when you're in a primal state, when you're back against the wall, it, any mammal, any animal in general, when you're in that primal state fighting for your life, you'll do anything to survive. And that's what the reality is for so many people in Baltimore. And they just get looked and frowned upon like they like they want to live this way. Like we, we choose to live this way. And that's not the case. Yeah, I want to come back to that idea. But first, I want to back up a tiny bit. For people who are just completely unaware of the story, can you explain um, kind of the events? At, and you, you already talked about this a little bit, but just how things unfolded with Freddie Gray. You know, what happened to Freddie Gray and, and kind of how your community rallied around this as as something bigger than what it was in a lot of ways. Right. So my city, like I said, is small. And like the fact that Freddie Gray video, like I didn't even see the news because I don't really watch it too much. Like I just started watching the news recently since I've been, you know, around so many different activists and political figures because of my, now I watch the news and I try to stay up on things so I can make sure I stay, you know, up onto what's going on and stuff like that. And, you know, I actually found out about the Freddie Gray video. It came through in a group text message. I just remember watching it. And then it just it was crazy. And it's like from that moment forward, I knew something. I knew it was going to break onto protest. And plus the neighborhood where Penn North, everyone knows Penn North. Pennsylvania Avenue is probably one of the most popular streets in, you know, West Baltimore and Baltimore. It has a lot of culture. The people that live there, you know, they do live below the poverty line or poverty line. But it's a very close-knit community, even though they, they struggle. A lot of everybody knows everyone. People, their grandparents grew up with their grandparents, everyone is pretty much friends at the end of the day, one big family. And so when Freddie Gray passed away, he's from Gilmore Homes, which is part of Sandtown, Winchester, Penn North, and everything else. You know, that's a very populated, very powerful community. You know, it's, they don't know how powerful they are. They know now because of the uprising. But everyone took to the streets. Um, the protests just grew each day. You know, like I came out the, the, the following week after Freddie Gray's death when the protests first started, you know, and they just, I watched them grow. You know, like they got bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And it was beautiful. It was people from people that probably would never step foot on Penn North were coming to March. We had a lot of support from surrounding, like, saw a lot of my art friends from, um, you know, the art community come, you know, and it just was like, wow, you know, people that I've never seen before, like, like you would never come on Penn North, but you're here to yeah. march with us. It was beautiful. Did you know how powerful this was in the moment? Did you know how big this was or... Well, yeah, what did that feel like? Um, it felt like I was in a movie, like, to be honest, because I marched. Like, this wasn't my first time shooting a protest or anything. Like, I marched for, for Mike Brown. I shot that. Okay. Um, I marched um, for Palestine. You know, I shot that. It's just that my work, the work, 
like it got a little bit of traction, but I was trying to get it. I did so much. I put it like on Instagram and Twitter, but I was mostly trying to get it to like the Baltimore Sun, but I could never get a reply, you know, back from them when I'm trying to like send my work to them. That's what kind of yeah. led me to, you know, going to Twitter. But like those things were, it didn't hit home with a lot of people, but this did because, you know, I'm Freddie Gray. You know, so many dudes that's like go through this every day, you know, and it's just like we finally have video footage, you know. Yeah. And, and that was like the big turn of events, like just the, the way they had, they treated him like like a sack of potatoes and just the way he died so painfully and how much damage he had, he partook in, you know, at that time. Like it just was crazy. So like everybody just was behind it. You had people who, you know, you even had dudes who, you know, like some of my homeboys who don't, you know, they struggle with police. Um, that's their common enemy every day, you know, because Absolutely. of the lifestyle, because of the lifestyle they live, you know. They was even getting involved with, though they're more so, you know, worrying about survival. They even put their extracurricular activities to the side to, you know, stand up for the people and really, you know, step forward, which was a beautiful thing. And yeah, because that easily could have been them because of the, the lifestyle that, you know, we live in a lifestyle that a lot of us choose, have close runners with the police all the time. And it just was like the whole community, though, like all different types of people. And I'm just like, that's when I knew, like, yeah, we. We about to make some changes. And then once the stuff happened, when, like I said, at Camden Yards and I seen how the youth stood up, you know, like they, they were awake, you know, it's like that's when they really flexed and show how strong they were. You know, a lot of people say, well, they could have handled it this way. You know, they have never been in this situation before. This, yeah. You know, these kids don't know. A lot of these kids, even growing up, didn't know anything about the civil rights movement because they don't talk about it in school. So. Wow. So it's just a genuine outpouring of of the tension and the feelings and the pain. And you're like, this is what we have to do. Yes. And my city is so, so tough. So you're talking about people that have pain, you know, built up for so long. You know, you're dealing with pain from my our grandparents, you know, like from the from the 60 rise. Then, you know, the crack academic. Then you have all this animosity that has built over generations, though, you know, of being oppressed for generations. Just yeah. released all at one time. And it released through the youth. You know, a lot of people don't credit to youth like me. Like me, I just was there to tell a story. But the actual power was from our youth. You know, that's why, you know, it's so important that we help shape them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just like to the point where I even had to put my camera down, you know, the day when things happened and just really just look and just sink it all in, you know. Because at the end of the day, it's like, this is my home, this is my community. I'm just not, I'm not, I wasn't an outsider. You know, a lot, it's even people within our city, you know, that had cameras who came, but they're still outsiders. It's different from, you know, living on the outskirts or living it when you live that lifestyle yourself and you and Freddie Gray had mutual friends and you know people that knew him, you know? So it's like, a lot of people came, a lot of activists came, but it was just like, like this really, like really struck home because like, this is my home. Like I could have easily been in Freddie Gray. I've had my run-ins with the police. So just like just watching it, you know, and watching the youth react, you know, like yeah. they, they inspired me, you know, to come out every day and continue to, you know, take pictures and basically shape, you know, everything that I'm doing for us career-wise. Man, I think what you were saying is really, that's something I keep on thinking about because in my mind as a photographer who, um, you know, I travel a lot, I care about justice, I want to make an impact with my work. I like to think, oh, like I totally could have just flown out to Baltimore and shot some amazing photos. But the truth is that you, like as Devin Allen, you are uniquely positioned 
to make an incredible impact with your photography because this is your community. This is like, this is your experience and this is not something that that I could have done. Um, and, and you've done incredible things with that. And I think that's amazing. Um, so you went out there and I would imagine that you went out with equal parts wanting to just be a part of this protest, but also as a photographer, cause this is how I feel you know, you wanted to document things, you know, what did that balance feel like for you? Like how much of this, and you alluded to this a little bit before, but how much of this was protest? How much of this was being a documentarian? And do you feel like there was some overlap with that as well? Yeah, it's tough being an artist and, you know, cause you have to be very selfless. Like you can't be selfish. So when I came out, it was just pure, like I have to do this. I felt obligated because I'm an artist with a God given gift. You know, the universe blessed me with this gift to take, you know, pretty good pictures. I've been doing photography for three years, you know, so I'm fairly new to it. So I just wanted to just tell a story. I just knew that, you know, media wasn't going to tell the entire story. I already knew how they was going to portray my city. I already knew it was going to be nothing but negative feedback. And even with, you know, like I don't, like even with photojournalists, they're going to come in, you know, try to get the shots so they can get paid, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, if it bleeds, it leads. So even if, you know, if something was positive, sometimes media will try to, you know, twist that. So I want to come in with a fresh mind. And, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't come in just to capture the good moments. I captured everything in between that I could, you know, trying not to be biased. Because at the end of the day, if I saw something, I took a picture of it. It was negative. So I got backlash from my own community for taking pictures of neg- negatives. I tried to take my pictures at an artistic angle so no one wouldn't, people wouldn't get locked up, you know, but at the end of the day, all those things were running through my head at one time, and it was very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult because at the end of the day, it's like you're trying to document the true essence of a story because my people, you know, my, the black community, my community, we allow media to tell our stories and create, you know, stories about us. Since we've been here, you know, our stories are always being told by other people. It's rarely that we actually can have the platform, you know, to tell our own stories without it being filtered. But with social media, that allows us to tell our story you know, firsthand. So a lot of my images, I try to, you know, take my pictures quick, get them up. I use the camera with Wi-Fi and try to beat media to the punch. But it's certain instances where, you know, I can become selfish and only think about my community while I'm taking these pictures. And that, that was the most difficult thing for me. It was like, how can I tell this story in its raw form and not, you know, become, you know, try to hide certain things that are happening in front of me, regardless if it's negative or even something positive that I really don't truly agree with. You know, like I had to really clear my mind and like let myself just be a vessel, just be a vessel for the, for the movement, you know, for my people. Cause at the end of the day, like you said, like we're photographers, like you travel a lot, but at the end of the day, I would never walk into Chicago, even though I am a black man, I know the struggle. I lived it firsthand. I would never walk into Chicago and just start documenting at the end of the day because I don't know that I never lived in Chicago, so it's a little bit more different for me. So it's harder for me to tell certain stories, but this story I knew I could tell. You know, like that's why I didn't, you know, pursue stuff in photojournalist. Like I'm not a photojournalist because I have a heart. So at the end of the day, my heart will always conflict with my work because mm. I have to, for me, the pictures come out better if I love it. And I love my city. I love my community. That's why the pictures came out, you know, as good as they did. But if I go, you know, to another shoot of issues that I'm not truly affected by, 
you know, if to me that's not going to be producing, you know, some amazing work, you know, even with like the stuff that happened with the LGBT community, I wouldn't go to Orlando and just start taking photos. If anything, I would want to, I would give somebody else a camera and let them document it so they can tell a story. I, I just, I just love authentic stories. And I think I can't tell certain stories, so I don't even try, you know, but it was very tough, you know, being, you know, trying to get the story across and still being true to my my own beliefs and my own spirituality, it was a constant struggle, you know, and it really took took its toll on me for the things that I saw, the things that I had to show, even though I didn't want to show. Like I, w- I didn't want to show my people, my young, my young, younger generation, my little brothers, basically stomping police cars. I, I don't want to show that, but I have to because that's the story. That's what transpired. That's what happened. I, I think that's really powerful and. How would you identify yourself then? Because you say, okay, I'm not, um, I'm not a photojournalist. With, with all that said, do you describe yourself as an activist? Do you describe yourself as an artist? What, yeah, what, what do you feel like your label is? When it first started, and everyone was calling me an activist and journalist, you know, it like I'm not going to lie to you to pat myself on the back. It feels good. That people, <laughs> it feels good to have people actually believe in you. You know, to, to give you that type of love, to even give you that that magnificent title. An activist is a big name to live up live up to and a lot of people proclaim self-proclaim themselves as activists like i don't at first i'm like am i activist am i not an activist you know like i don't know like i consider myself as far as my photography um my personal work not like my work with under armor or other projects that i do with my personal work because i love street photography i consider myself a dialogue creator because i'm not Mm. i'm good at creating conversations so my images allow my images my images are to create a conversation i'm not here to you know, take a picture and then tell you what's going on in a picture. If a lot of people see my work, a lot of my stuff is passionate. So the words that I speak, I might say what's going on in the picture sometimes, but for the most part, I let you look at the picture and you come to your own, come to your own conclusion based off the energy that's transferred from you viewing my work because my heart goes into my work. So at the end of the day, I don't want to sit there and tell you, say, look, this guy's destroying the police car and then that's evil. No, I want you to look at it. And if the, the picture is strong enough, it, it will give you a deeper perception into the image and make you think more, you know, because at the end of the day, we don't have, just like we're having this conversation, me and you are having this conversation because of my photos. And that's what my photos, that's what I aim to do. You know, I want, you know, to make those those awkward moments. For instance, like people can scroll my page and you will see people fuss at, fuss at the bottom of some of my images. I'm talking about literally fuss, but then come to some type of form of agreement. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But just the fact that you're having that healthy conversation because y'all both felt so passionate. If it was a negative feeling or positive, I don't care. But if I can, you know, get, just get you wanting to talk, you know, because that's, that's, that's the issue with a lot of, we don't talk. So we just all, we assume too much. Like my, my community assume things about your community, vice versa. We assume things about the Latino community, but we don't know. No. You know, we all have these stereotypes that come with, oh, all black people love fried chicken or all white people can't dance, you know, and it's like we assume these things, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like if we can just find a way to have a healthy conversation, we can cure so much, so many miscommunications and understandings. And what happens is we have these, you know, these activists and these leaders and we allow them to talk for us, you know, and this is not the 1960s. We don't have, we don't need a, you know, a Martin Luther King or, you know, another Malcolm X. We don't need like we don't need those dynamic leaders because we all have a voice through social media, through whatever. The world is much smaller now. So you can get your point across so much easier. We don't need that conduit no more to speak through and live through. You know, so at the end of the day, I don't want to be a leader or, you know, even an activist. I just want to do and create artwork that's positive. 
I don't care what community it is. If it's some type of injustice, and if, if it's near me, I don't care if it's the LGBT community. I don't care if it's the Latino community. If it's some type of injustice, and it's around me, I'm going to document it and try to get a story across. You know, and that's and create that conversation around that. You know, like if something happens, I go there, take the pictures, and I just put it in the universe. And then once people start having a conversation, people start talking and people reach solutions. They might not be a global solution, but sometimes it's an internal fight that we have when we're dealing with racism and, and different type of hatreds that's inside of us. And I believe my images can do that just by making you think, you know, and that's kind of like my end goal with my work. So I really don't consider myself um, an activist like I did at one point in time. But I just want to just do the work. I don't care about labels. You know, if, if I can give a kid a camera, that's my thing. If I can, you know, have this conversation with you and it touches somebody, that's my thing for the day. But at the end of the day, I just want to live my life as an artist and be, be able to, you know, help people and change views and just overall just pay, play my part. You know, I'm not trying to do anybody else's part or be something that I'm not. I just want to be me and change lives, you know, as I live through my life, you know, freely, you know, and without having to force it, you know, just... Just let it flow. Man, that is incredibly powerful. I I love this idea that, you know, we all have a voice. And I think that you're the perfect example of this. Um, and I kind of want to get back to this idea of, um, you know, you're in the heat of the moment. You're shooting photos on your camera. You're capturing all this stuff. You send them straight to your phone. And is that is that what you did in, during these protests? And then you start sharing them on Twitter. Was that the progression? Yeah, yeah, I try every time I took a picture, and when I felt the picture was good enough, and I sh- I shoot in black and white because I don't have time. I love film, but I don't have time to actually shoot it, you know. And it's just something about when you're trying to get that shot, you know, with film, you only have but so many shots in a row, and you have to get the shot, you know. You can't miss. If you miss, you shit out of luck. So you know, like with digital, a lot of us get lazy and we take multiple pictures and we can review it and everything else. But when you're in a the setting that I'm in, you know, this is like. You got to get that shot, and I had to get it out fast. Yeah. So, so I sh- my camera was already preset. My contrast was bumped up how I wanted it. The saturation was how I wanted it. My clarity was bumped up how I like it. And I just sh- already set in black and white. I shot, and when I caught an image or a moment, I felt as though this needs to go up now. And, you know, I Dang. missed everything. I just sent it to my phone, and I just posted it real time. Were you posting it with like a with a hashtag or anything, or, or was it just going out and your community was already following along? Yeah, um, my hashtag, my I use my own personal hashtag to tie all my work together. Um, I actually dedicated my page like the first time I came out. Like I had for protests, I had a couple good images, but it wasn't you know they, they were dope, but they wasn't like amazing like the time cover. But the week before, like a couple days before, I dedicated my page actually to Freddie Gray. And I was like, wow. and I just was like, I'm just, I didn't know anything about the time was going to come. But I did my first image. I, I can't believe, I think it was a man had his fist up. And I said, I'm dedicating my page to Freddie Gray. And I did the hashtag Baltimore Freddie and um, rest in peace, Freddie Gray, just to uh, keep everybody updated what was going on in Baltimore. Man. And so, and so you were sharing these photos. What do you think the tipping point was? You know, obviously you had countless celebrities starting to share your photos at some point i imagine you got a phone call from time and different publications but like break down what happened the moments between sharing these photos knowing that they were good enough um and then obviously ending up on the cover of time it was a lot (laughs) It, it (laughs) it happened so fast like literally um I chose Instagram and Twitter before, like I said, like I tried to get my work into the sun, but I couldn't even get an email back. 
um, for the work that I was sending. I even sent it to like a, a friend that was like featured in the sun before and he didn't even get a reply. I was like, dang, at that point I was like, my work sucked. Like my work is trash. But <laughs> I was like, I'm going to take the Instagram at the time. On Instagram, I had been giving out free prints, traveling to New York, catching a mega bus in New York, going to like little events, um, giving out free uh, free work. I would give out free prints on my work, you know, just wow. to get my name out there. And um, so I would like travel to New York and stuff like that. I actually planned to move to New York, you know, at the end of 2015 to uh, get up there and just, you know, spend like a year up there to network. So I had 10,000 followers on Instagram and I had five. 5,000 on Twitter. And I was like, well, I had, if I, I have 15,000 friends all together. I can get this work out here, the real story. At least somebody's going to see it. And I just remember, I remember, you know, snapping the time picture. I tweeted it and like the police ran up on me, almost knocked me over. And I like hopped over the gate and I like weaved through all this stuff and just tweeting it. And then like going home, going to sleep, woke, woke up to like 20,000 followers. No. DMs from all types of people. And I just like, what is going on? Pictures had like a thousand retweets. And I just remember the BBC calling me. I remember um, Fusion Magazine reaching out to me. And I did the BBC interview um, like on a Sunday. And I did it. And it was like, that's my first interview. And I'm like, what am I, you know, what am I doing? Like, I'm about to do this interview. What if he, you know, chopped my words up and changed something? But the BBC put out like the raw essence of like what I was saying. They didn't cut anything. And I was like, that's dope. Wow. I just kept out, kept going out and shooting. I just remember that Monday before everything like, when off time called me and I actually got smart with them when they called my phone because I didn't believe it. It was them. And, you know, that Monday, I'm probably the only photographer that didn't take pictures that Monday when the CVS and everything else was burning down. Because at the end of the day, it was like, that's one day I really felt it. Like spiritually, I'm a very spiritual person, you know, and I felt like the energy, I felt everything. And it was like, I, I'm seeing my friends like ripping and running around the street, you know, trying to snatch people out the street. You know, and stuff like that. And I'm just watching my city burn. It's like my grandmother, my mother had to call my grandmother and tell her not to take this way home because she has to drive past my daughter mall, the mall that they got looted. And it just was like, wow. that was like the only day I didn't take pictures. I, every photographer was flocking, you know, and people, and people were like, how, it's other amazing photographers that got amazing shots from that Monday. And they're like, how did you do it? And it was like the fact that I outworked a lot of photographers. I can't, I was out for three days straight every day. If it was a block party, if it was a meeting, if it was something, I was out. You know, I didn't miss any. That's the only day that I, 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 I chose not to take pictures. You know, I chose not to take pictures that day for my own personal selfish reasons, you know, because I really felt mm. the pain. And I just remember when they told me, they was like, hey, you know, we want to give you a full spread. And I was like, what? Like, are you serious? And I'm like, all right. They're like, yeah, send the images over. You know, I don't know nothing about copywriting. I don't know anything. You know, I just sent the images over. And... I wasn't even like thinking about getting paid or nothing. I sent them right over. I was like, yo, if these go in time, I'm just gonna, this is going to put my city on. You know, like in the back of my mind, I'm trying to put my city on. And yeah. I sent the images over and they was like, they dope. Love it. How I feel to have, have a full spread as an amateur photographer. I'm like, wow. You know, and then they like, they called me back. I was like, that image with the guy running for the police, send us that. We love it. We might want to give it to the, make it the cover. And I'm like, for real? Wow. They was like, don't get your hopes up. So I just remember like, I worked at night from 12 at night to 8 in the morning so I would shoot all day and then go to work at night where were you working at the time? I worked at this place called Emerge with, with, I worked with three guys that had autism and intellectual disabilities yeah so I just remember it was early in the morning I'm getting them dressed to send them to the, the day program to go to like the school and I just remember getting on Twitter and seeing all these notifications and I scrolled to the bottom of them and they say amateur photographer from Baltimore Snags to cover Time magazine I just bust wow. out crying I just bust out crying no. I called my mother and like, 
she drops the phone and it's like, all you do is hear her scream. You know, my whole family was crying. You know, like this is probably one of the biggest accomplishments like inside my family. You know, and just to find out like I'm the first like black photographer to do some of the stuff that I'm that I've done. You know, to be published. I've been publishing time now like four different times. I had a time cover the year. I'm the third amateur photographer that I ever get to cover a time and it's just like the head of accolades, you know, and tell kids that, you know, dreams do come true. Man, that is unbelievable. That's yeah. I just got goosebumps, Devin. That's man. Yeah, like and you know, like like a lot of people don't know. Like I, I share like when I sp- I spoke at Visco, per- like recently, and like I'm and like I don't hide anything. I'm very open about my life. Like I talk about like you know I sold drugs. I um ripped and ran. I was in the streets, but a lot of people don't know. Like I shared it like in some talks. But like I had like a nervous breakdown because I just it was like so much going on like um, wow. to the point where like it was bad. So like people don't know like in the course of like me having a time cover, I was in um two like pretty pretty bad car accidents. And my second car accident, it was like I, I was so burnt out from shooting protests all the time, and then like everything changed so fast for me. So I was actually working every day. From 12 at night to 8 in the morning to shooting protests, but then I added like doing interviews, you know, like I, like I, people wanted to do interviews, you know, like news outlets and stuff like that. So I'm literally going to news interviews, shooting, going to shoot protests and going straight to work. I literally wasn't sleeping and I literally was driving home one day and like this, you know, blacked out. You know, I was out and I just got, and I hit this car real bad. Like I just had like a nervous breakdown. Like I had no energy, nothing. You know, and me and my father wasn't really close, but my father actually he he deals with his own issues and but like he actually came to the hospital. I was like I actually went to the hospital and everything. And um he came and got me, we hung out and like when I got out of the hospital, like my whole family was there. And it was like a lot of people don't know that. It was like I really was like ripping and running and like you know, I had to take some time for myself, but I didn't. I just kept going, <laughs> you know, like Man. just just kept going. It was like everybody just kept like, you know, seeming. It was like I felt obligated that I had to do those things. So I was like literally still shooting every day and like not sleeping, you know. It was like kind of crazy, but it was like I had to keep going. You know, I had to keep, you know, make sure the story was getting told right. I had to make sure that Baltimore, you know, at the time, you know, people were attention shifts so much, you know, but it was so much going on here and it still is. And like, I just had to like put it all on the line, you know? And eventually like it got so much, I actually had to quit my job. <laughs> like, and I, I, I quit and then I just was like, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I just was like, yeah, I'm gonna start like my own like youth program or something. Yeah, I mean, obviously this was a big break for you um, and it was overwhelming and life-changing, but it that wasn't even like the height of it. You know, it's so much more came after this. Can you break down like a few of those like crazy surreal things that came next for you and and maybe even what would you say is the most surreal thing that came from all of this? Um like it a lot a lot happened like if it was one I'm in a Smith I have like 30 photos in the Smithsonian. Whoa, which is crazy. Even like some of my cell phone pictures. <laughs> like my iPhoneography, you know like like yes, iPhoneography is a real thing. I had oh, dude, stuff in I know Smithsonian. It. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot Amazing. of people, I actually take more pictures. I mean, you don't even carry a camera no more. But um, I had a lot of positive things and a lot of setbacks, too, that I, you know, that I, I shared. But, like, some of the big, like, positive things was 
that touched me personally. I was able to go to Austria and take classes with some some of the top activists and innovators from around the world. And I actually um, snuck into this um, this camp in this train station where people was um, coming from Syria trying to get into Germany around the time when that lady clipped their people, <laughs> that journalist was clipping people trying to get across the border. And I actually got to talk to some of the families coming from Syria. And that, that really changed my outlook on life in general and how I looked at things and how I handled myself. That was probably one of the biggest things for me. Um, if it was, you know, going to Asia and shooting Steph Curry with Under Armour, you know, Under Armour reached out to me and um, they and they know my background. You know, they when they found out they were from Baltimore, some of the the creative team reached out to me and they know like what I'm what I do. So it wasn't like, you know, it's like Devin, you have to change to come work with us. You know, they kinda supported me, you know, and to this day still trying to help me with some things in Baltimore, which was awesome. I got to shoot Afro Punk, which was dope. I got to meet Scissor, who's like one of who I'm like a big fan of. Like I'm so in love with Scissor. I actually got to take a portrait shot of her, which was Dang. dope. <laughs> I actually got a publishing book deal. So I'm working on a three series book right now. No way, man. Uh, yeah, which is like crazy. Um I did like two solo shows which were like smash hit events, you know, that I actually did like we pasting in that came out like so good. Um been kicking it with a lot of scholars from Princeton, amazing professors that have been teaching me a lot and I've been learning a lot from. Um, it's just, it's like, it's, it's certain stuff that's not even like popping in my head right now. Like, yeah. was, um, I linked up with Samsung for a while and Samsung actually donated cameras to me to give to like my youth kids. Incredible. And, um, I started a GoFundMe account and I had a lot of support from the community. I raised like $3,000 in two weeks. Even a guy from GoFundMe, you know, um, donated, who created GoFundMe, donated a thousand dollars, which was nuts. And then, um, DeRay, gave me a call who's an um, activist. He's from Baltimore too, but he's most oh, man, known I for, love DeRay. Yeah, he, he's most known for the stuff that he did in Ferguson. But we linked up in May and um, chopped it up for real. And um, he actually gave me a call one day and um, told me Russell Simmons was looking for me. And Russell Simmons donated $20,000 to get to jumpstart my youth program. And I bought cameras and I just, I didn't know nothing about, you know, like working with, like, like really like teaching photography, anything, anything, because I'm still kind of amateur and I'm learning myself. But I actually, you know, went to the Penn North area and just started teaching, giving out cameras. And I actually did two, three art shows now with with youth kids from West Baltimore, which all were like amazing. Even the the police commissioner, Kevin Davis, came, which was like was dope. Just had to, uh, he actually sat on a, a panel with me. It's just been nuts. Like I'm, I guess I'm also get excited about you know putting cameras. Probably my biggest accomplishment is being able to pour resources to into the community. Like even now, I ran out of funding a long time ago because I didn't. You know, I don't know nothing about running a program, and I, you know, me not thinking I should have got insurance on certain things that I should have, and I didn't. Things got broken, but. I actually have a lot of support from my, my Instagram and Twitter following that people send, donate cameras to me and I just give them out to kids because like I work with, like I mentor certain kids and I actually been putting time in with some of these kids for um for like a year now. And then some kids I work with like um for like two to three months that we did an art show. But just the fact that, you know, when I come around, they say, hey, it's the cameraman. You give me, and kids, and it's like, I can't work with every kid. I'm just one person. And my heart is really in this and I don't work with a lot of people because people want to just do it to pat themselves on the back or they do it 
for the for the camera attention or they they don't really do it from the heart and i'm very strong and adamant about you have to love what you do like don't just do it you know because you know it's the right thing to do but do it because you you know your heart is in it so i, I typically i really work alone I, but i linked up with a couple um another photographer by the name of noah who's amazing that i work with sometimes and i literally like he, we just was like, yeah, we just gonna just start giving our cameras. Like, we don't even care. Like, if we don't see the camera again, oh, well, fuck it. You know, at the end of the day, letting that kid know, you know, like, photography can get you somewhere. And when I tell kids my story, they're like, I didn't know you could get up with photography. And I'm like, yes, you can. And it's times, like, I'll be walking down the street, for instance, like, when we found out one of the police officers got off and I saw one of my kids outside. He's about, like, six. And I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, what you doing? He was like, I need a charger. And he, like, I gave him a camera, like, two months ago. And he has his camera in his pocket. He didn't even, I didn't even, he didn't even plan to see me. But he had his camera in his pocket that I gave him, like, two months ago. And he's six years wow. old. Like, and he didn't lose the camera or anything. Like, that's, I mean, that showed me that, like, wow. You know, like, I gave this kid a little compact Sony that's in his pocket. And the camera, he said it's been dead for, like, a week because he lost the charger. But he still has it with him. He pretends that he takes pictures. And I'm just like, wow. You know, even hood dudes come up to me. Like, dudes like 18 years old. Like, I want to take pictures, yo. You know, I, you feel me? I want to take pictures of my homeboys. And I'm like, for real? All right, hey, here's a camera. And I just, I got to the point now. Like, even if I can't work with these kids, you know, they might not ever pursue photography, but they know somebody that's semi kind of making it. Because I'm like, kind of, not a celebrity, but people look up to me. And they, they can interact with me. You know, that's, you know, probably one of the biggest things for me, probably one of my biggest accomplishments is being able to give mm. back to my community. I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, Hover. Hover is the company that makes it easy to buy a domain name for your big idea. Hover also believes the internet has the power to bring positive change in the world. And you put those two things together and you have something special. When you have a passion or idea, a way to bring change into the world, the first and biggest step you should take toward bringing the idea to the internet is to buy a domain name. The great thing about Hover is that there are no upsells. The site is clean and easy to use. All you do is you search, you buy your name you need, and boom, you have a domain name. You are ready to share your idea with the world. Uh, truth be told, this is what I've done every single time that I've come up with an idea that I've wanted to bring to life. When inspiration struck for the good newspaper, the very first thing I did was see which domain names were available. Is there even something called good newspaper already? Fortunately, goodnewspaper.org, goodnewspaper.co, all available. So I picked those up on hover.com. And I am so glad that I did. For listeners of Sounds Good, Hover is offering 10% off your first purchase when you visit hover.com slash sounds good. Go to hover.com slash sounds good today and save 10% on your domain name and help support this podcast. Hover, making it easy to bring your passions and ideas to life for the sake of changing the world. Okay, now back to the rest of the conversation. I really think that that's one of the most impressive things about you to me. It's this idea that you achieved a level of success that a lot of people never achieve. And you achieved it in light of a lot of circumstances. And you've chosen to take that success and actually make an impact with that and make a difference in the lives of others. And I love that you started this uh, this program where you're going to basically let kids 
you know, if they have the passion, if they have the drive, follow down the same pathway that you've kind of paved. But can you give like just a, a brief overview of this program that you've started for these kids and uh, the awesome impact it's had? Right. So the, the program is just like, this is something that I'm probably going to do for the rest of my life. You know, like um, I don't ever plan on leaving Baltimore. Um, of course, travel the world and everything else. But I think, you know, like like I said, once again, um, my city don't have a lot of people like me, you know, that 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 reach the, the do what I have done in a short period of time. The thing is, photography saved my life. I, I'm supposed to be dead. You know, like both my best friends were murdered. And one was murdered right after I left, and I left because I had to go do a photo shoot. And that was back in 2013. He literally was, like, shot in the head after I left. And, you know, if I wasn't into photography, I would have still been hanging with him. I still would have been there, and I would have been, you know, most likely gunned down, too. And photography, literally, like, I take it so seriously. I'm so passionate about it. Like, I will fight somebody over my art. (laughs) I get so, like, intense about it because it really saved my life. I'm supposed to be dead, you know, and if I can save another child's life by just letting him know how powerful photography is and where it can take you and how it can be stress releasing, because I release a lot of stress. When I'm stressed out, I take pictures. And so when I started a program, you know, I wanted it to be very grassroots and I wanted to start it on my own with the help from others. Because at the end of the day, it's like I, I wanted to be on the ground, hand to hand with these kids to let them know. I don't want to be one of the people that's like, you know, I can go start a program, but no one never see me. You know, go start an organization and then have people do the work for me. And it was like, no, I wanted my stuff to be grassroots, raw assets. I wanted to literally like, it's not about just working with them. It's about transferring my energy to them. Mm. So, and making those moments like they will remember me for the rest of their life. Or they go do something like, oh, no, Mr. Devin told me, you know, this ain't right. You know, but I'm telling them it's not as an adult, not as a teacher, but as a peer that was in their shoes at one point in time. So when I started a program, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just was like, all right, I'm going to just get the cameras and I'm going to just find me some kids to work with. And I got the cameras and like I'm still in the trial stages of it because I'm every kid is so different. And I, don't, I work with some tough kids and I work with some easy kids. I work with kids that's like real smart and some that some that are kind of don't don't have the same tools as other because and they're not as smart because they don't have the tools and it's like crazy how small Baltimore is but a five mile different can change the mentality of a kid so I work with some kids through a middle school and then I work with some kids through um a rec center and a lot of the kids are from Freddie Gray's neighborhood so um I sat in the classroom I taught them the basics shutter speed you know ISO you know this button does this you know, aperture, this is what aperture means and this is what this does. So if you turn this and turn that, and I broke it down simplest form that I could, and I had them document their own life. You know, so a family, school, I was like, if you hate school and you hate the school lunch and it's nasty, take pictures of it, you know. <laughs> so they documented what they did. Like, even some of my kids, they had took a program with another organization, so they knew how to kind of light paint with the um, with the long shutter. So some of the kids wrote their names and then we framed that work and then um, put it into an um, exhibit. And, you know, I had um, all, like, we, we blew it out. We had a panel discussion with them where I asked them questions. Like, all the news people were there. We had uh, we had wine. We had everything. We had a photo booth. And um, Arts Every Day, actually, um, an organization. I ran out. Like I said, I started running out of funding because I didn't price everything right like I should have. Like I said, I'm pretty new to this. But they actually picked up some of the slack and paid for some of the frames. So um, even now to this day, it got down to the point where um, I had help from like a friend. He wrote a grant, so he bought a printer. 
Um, so we bought like this nice printer where um, at the rec center though, those kids are a little bit more, you know, challenging than my other ones. They're not as focused as the ones working in the school setting because they come from, they totally two different neighborhoods. So their mentality is different. And that's what a lot of programs, a lot of people don't understand when they come from the outside to come work inside, you know, where I'm from, people don't understand that a kid from East Baltimore, West Baltimore, or Southwest Baltimore, or a kid from Garrison has these different neighborhoods. Their mentalities are different because certain, certain some neighborhoods are highly affected by crack. Some are affected by heroin. Some are affected by lead paint poisoning. Some of them are not. Some neighborhoods are worse off than others. Some are more violent than others. So the mentality of kids fluctuates and changes depending on what area you move through. But see, I understand that. Yeah. You're once again, you're uniquely qualified to be the person who takes on this role, like more so than anybody else ever could. Right. So like with um, my Penn North kids, it's not about photography with them. My, me, I'm just there. I hang out with them. We play basketball, we play football. I'm just there to give them love, you know, like spreading love. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of implement a little bit of me into them. So, like, they know I like photography. So we started off just doing photography, but then we became, like, a little, like, they became, like, my little brothers. So some days they don't want to take, they don't want to take pictures. Some days they do. And when they do, we give them a camera, we print the pictures up, and we hang them in the rec center. You know, one of the reasons why I took a job with Under Armour because it allows me to stay in Baltimore, plus I make good money, and I can still do my street photography. And And it's not like I'm selling, me, if I were to go work for, like, to become a, like a full-time journalist, it would take me away from Baltimore at this point. But I can't leave because it's so it's so early, it's so fresh. Freddie Gray just was last year. But Unarmor allows me to stay in Baltimore even though I do travel a little bit, but I make good money. So now that I work and I'm making a consistent check, you know, mm, I'm a little yeah. more, I'm stable. So mentally I'm more stable. Emotionally I'm stable. I could take care of my family and everything else now that I have a job. And that allowed me to actually throw a cookout. So what my friend Noah did, he printed up all the images with the grant money that we got. We got like between five or $8,000 to buy the printer and do prints. Um, so Noah actually handles all the printing and everything else. I make sure the cameras get delivered and everything else. And he printed up the images, we hung them up. And I went to Sands Club and bought a whole like, whole boatload of food. And I, I'm an active, uh, activist from my community has, um, his name is Shorty and he has this big ass grill that he drives around in a truck. And he cooks a lot of stuff for the homeless people. So he actually came and cooked all my food for free. And I fed like a hundred, a hundred kids out of my, out of like my own pocket. Like, and, um, I, and the crazy thing is I was filming a documentary for HBO. It's like a spinoff documentary. Um, it started from the wire cast and I've been in filming with this HBO documentary crew, you know, since last year. So they came and filmed it. Um, my friend Noah was getting followed by Vice. So Vice was there and filmed it. And it just was amazing. And like, we, like the kids are running around, got, got to eat. Police came and even ch- checked out their photos. And like the sad part about it, you would never, you, no one knew about it unless you followed me or followed Noah. Cause we didn't get a, the kids, I, I wanted like a solid event, but like the sad part about it, they didn't get the support they deserve, you know, and that's why it's like, I got to work harder. Like I literally put my own money into this other than like city paper. Like my a photographer by the name of Joe always supports me. He dropped off like a whole bunch of photography books for my kids and more so the support that I get from the people. Like I said, I had multiple setbacks where I reached out to Fuji before and one of their reps told me to my face like, Hey, yeah, you know, um, yeah, we know about the time cover, but we feel like your work is negative and we don't want to promote that for our brand. And, you know, because I shot this, my stuff with them and I asked them, like, you know, would they support me? And, you know, maybe, you know, because I don't at that time I didn't 
I still can't afford certain things, even to this point. You know, I may, I have to make certain sacrifices. And, you know, I'm a photographer. He told me, like, yo, you forgot one. He's like, one, you're an amateur photographer. And he's like, then you're black. And you have no credentials. You have no, you know, no paper, no degree or anything. He was like, that's, he was like, you know, but don't worry about it. Just keep pushing. Like, and um, like my dream camera is like a Leica M. I reached out to Leica. And like, um, they say they don't like give out free cameras and they don't, you know, um, sponsor photographers on a lot of stuff. But it's, I'm constantly seeing posts and stuff from other photographers that's getting free stuff. That kind of pushes me to work harder, you know, to, yeah. so I can get these things. But luckily I get a lot of support from Visco. I get um, support from other places, even though, you know, like I still struggle. Like, like I sold some of my own camera stuff so I can get cameras for the kids. Actually, I just purchased like a little point and shoot Leica because I wanted Leica so bad, so I wouldn't get like a point and shoot Leica. But like, luckily, like the support from Under Armour, they supply me with cameras and stuff that I can Incredible. use. Incredible, you know, like um, support from them. But it's like it's a constant struggle. But you know, like everything other than that, everything is going good. <laughs> yeah, man. You know? What was the opportunity that led to you getting to be a photographer in the, in the beginning? Uh, we ain't, with the school I went to. We ain't had photography. We barely even had art classes. So yeah, um, when I when I went to county school, we had art class. But then when I went um, to city school, we didn't have like no art teacher <laughs> in the school at all. So you know, photography was never even in Baltimore County when I went to county schools. Um, and I went to a majority black black school, like so city and county. Photography was never offered, you know, in school for me, let alone like art. Totally. So like photography is very uncommon in my community, like. I was made fun of when I first got my camera. I was like, I got cracked on about it. Like, all my friends, a lot of my friends made fun of me. A lot of people made fun of me. No one didn't take me seriously at all. You're like the guy with the camera. Yeah, exactly. Like, now everyone wants to be a photographer. Like, it's crazy. But, um, and, and it's awesome. Like, I'm like, at first, I'm like, oh, everyone's copying me. Like, I'm trying to really make it with this stuff. And they think it's a trend. And they think, you know, they trying to do it for the wrong reasons. Like, I would get jealous. But, you know, um, yeah, like I got photography. Actually, I stumbled across it because it was a mistake. Um, the funny thing is, is like my daughter kind of inspires me to be larger in life. Like with her, like I didn't want to be like one of them fathers. Like you know, like yeah, just be a good father, take care of. Her. I want to leave like a legacy behind. Like I always wanted to. She made me want to be great. So like I had tried multiple things, you know, before photography. You know, trying to find my niche. So, like, I linked up with one of my good friends named Josh. And, like, he was in the Army and stuff. We went to high school together. We was, like, total opposites. Like, he, um, I was, like, cutting class, getting in trouble and stuff like that in school. And he was, like, a straight-A student and played on the basketball team. But we know each other for a while. He reached out to me one day because I used to be, I, like I said, I tried everything. So I was a party promoter for a little while <laughs> in my city. I was throw parties with friends. And he was like, he's like, hey, bro, like, let's, let's do a poetry night. And I'm like, bro, nobody's not coming to no damn poetry night in the hood. Hang it up. He's like, no, trust me, bro. It's going to be dope. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do it. So we did it. And like the first day, nobody came. It was like like four girls that we knew. And I was like, really? He's like, no, give it some time. So we did it again. And this was like 2012. And then like like 200 people popped up. Dang. And we, charged, we would charge like $5 for girls and $10 for guys. And like, <laughs> so like we were just like. It was fun. And then, like, one day came to me and was like, hey. And then, plus, everybody in my city, like, that really know me, they, they don't, no one calls me. People just start calling me Devin. Like, some of my own friends don't even know my real name. And everybody know my, by my nickname, and it's Moody. Everyone in my city calls me Moody, people that grew up with me. That's my nickname. So 
He was like, hey, yo, Moody, um, you don't do nothing. I was like, what you mean? I promote, I post it. He was like, yo, but I, he was like, I do the poetry. I'm a poet. I write poems and I book all the poets. He was like, all you do is get drunk. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? He was like, yo, you got to write a poem and perform something. I need some help. So I was like, all right, cool. So I wrote like a poem and it was like real funny. But then after that, he was like, yo, we need to, you know, make some more money to, to keep doing the poetry night. So uh, I actually, he had like a little, like a little point and shoot camera. And now we would take pictures at the poetry night and, and, of our friends, and but we would make T-shirts, so we would take pictures on like he had like this little Nikon Coolpix camera. And we would take pictures, put them on, and put the pictures on T-shirts and sell them at the poetry night. And um, that's how it kind of started. And eventually, it was I just started taking pictures using his camera at the poetry night. And eventually, I was like, "Oh, this is kind of fun, you know." And I just was taking pictures using his camera. And then eventually, I was like, "I want to get my own camera." So like um. I went to go, like, I went, I was like, I want something nice. I want to take some serious pictures. And I went to, like, Best Buy and, like, grabbed all this stuff and got to the front. And it was like, this, um, $3,000, please. I was like, what the fuck? I never knew how expensive, I never knew how expensive photography was. And, like, I called my grandmother and used her credit card and got my first camera wow. in 2013. And then that's when my life really changed. I stopped hanging outside. I stopped partying. I would literally just take pictures all day, and I kind of fell in love with it. And everybody thought it was so funny. No one took me seriously at all. Like, and then like, like I said, like right after I got my first camera, that's where both my best friends were murdered. And that's when I was like, yo, photography is for me. And I just, I just like dove in it here first and just was doing everything I, anything I can do. And I would watch like YouTube tutorials, try to get better, you know. And like, that's what saved me, YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah, I, didn't man. Any, I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't know nothing about nothing about photography. I don't even know how to turn that shit on. I didn't know how to put the lens on. I was like, what the hell? And I'm like one of the people. Like, I. I forced myself to read. So, like, I try to learn everything by experience. If I knew what I knew now, I wasted so much money buying so much unnecessary stuff that I didn't need. Only if I knew back then that all I needed was a 50 millimeter yeah, man. and a little Canon, I would have been good. I was buying zoom lenses and buying old lenses. And I was buying stuff that didn't even fit to my camera. Stuff that didn't yeah. fit for my camera, I'm buying it just because it was cheap and I could afford it. Yeah. But photography was a mistake, probably the best mistake of my life that I stumbled across. <laughs> Dude, I love that. And I love all the hustle and drive you put into it. In a lot of ways, you got a little bit of a lucky break by, you know, capturing these photos and sharing them online and them getting seen by the right Definitely. people. Definitely. But like that lucky break wouldn't have happened if you hadn't put in that hustle. And right. like it's 100% just this opportunity met you where you were at, where you were working hard. And that's why you found all this success. And and even more impressive, that's given you an opportunity to give back and make an impact. Um, dude, I want to ask you, what's what's your plan for the future of your work? Like you said, you want to stay in Baltimore. You want to continue making a difference in these kids' lives year after year. What about the rest of it? What's the game plan for the next year or foreseeable future? Like what are some things on the horizon? Um, I want to be the best, one of the best photographers of my generation. Like I want to be, mm. I want to be remembered. Like it's not even like about. Of course, I gotta make money doing it. But right now, like my whole life goal is to be remembered. You know, I want to leave. You know, like amazing ph photographs behind. You know, and I want to be talked about for centuries. <laughs> you know, like this amazing artist. Like how they talk about like Leonardo da Vinci and Picasso and everybody else. Like I just want to be great like that. But I want to be great, and I want my daughter to see it. So it's like when I when I go. You know, she can, you know, people, I want people to interview my daughter. Like, how was it being Dr. Nadal's daughter? Was he amazing? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and it's like her, she just know me as her goofy daddy, you know, but it's like, 
that's the that I want to leave a legacy, and also for my people. You know, I just want to show people that dreams really do come true. Like you can really, you know, come from you know the bottom and really get to the top, and not you know sell yourself out or sell yourself short. Um, as far as my art, like um, I love like we pasting and graffiti, so I'm actually going dip and dab into that more street art with my work. Um, yeah, both my art shows are all we paste. Like I we paste everything in my art shows, and um. Basically, I, you know, I'm, I'm like under armor because like um, one of my favorite photographers going pops, but it was nothing he couldn't shoot, you know. So instead of me going to school, I'm trying to learn on the job, learn where I can go. And then, yeah, you know, and just continue to build. Like I already proved that, you know, I can be a photojournalist if I wanted to be, you know. So like that's checked off in the book. Now I just want now it's like being a, I'm becoming a good sports photographer. And then I'm um, diving into some fashion. You know, a lot of people don't know, but if people follow my work, go check my work beforehand. I did a lot of natural beauty hair shots and beauty shots because I, I love natural beauty and I don't like the way beauty is perceived by mainstream media. And that's something that I was doing before, you know, the time cover came and I actually lost, you know, not interest in it, but it's just that my, my focus is on, you know, the current situation at home. And I would love to go back into that and change, you know, way people perceive, you know, beauty, you know, because there's so many beauty standards that, you know, people face with. People are always told on a constant day what they should and should not look like. And I and I hate it. I hate the way media portrays it. And I want to change it. I want people just to feel comfortable in their own skin. Definitely with me raising a little girl. That's very important to me because I want her to feel like she's beautiful and not held up to any type of standard. So actually, you know, I was doing that before the time cover, and I kind of want to get back into that really soon and document that. Um, since I work for Anonymous, of course, I want to be and learn a lot in sports photography. It's a totally different, you know, something I've never done before, but I have the opportunity to do it, and I have to kill it. You know, I have to do it, and I have to kill it. Um, I probably would never do war photography. Um, I, did an <laughs> I did an interview with ABC Australia, and they did some stuff in Iraq. And like people, I'm from Baltimore. I done seen people get shot and killed. You know, I done seen it. I done seen people take their last breath. You know, I've been shot at myself. But the images and the stuff that people in the struggle that goes on in Iraq and Syria and the stuff like with ISIS and everything else, and I couldn't handle it. You know, like my heart was too big for that. You know, and I probably would go crazy seeing something like that. And um, I love animals. I respect animals. <laughs> you know, we're on the same playing field. And I and I I don't fool with animals. <laughs> like I love to like ride elephants and do stuff like that. But when it comes to National Geographic being around tigers and you know, no, nah, that's not <laughs> that's not something I might not do. <laughs> so I might not get into that. But every other aspect of photography, I get into it. But yeah, my life goal is just to be great. I love photography, even if you know I never I don't plan on getting rich. I don't want to be rich. I just want to live comfortably. And the end goal is to end up in a back with village somewhere and living peacefully <laughs> like a monk, you know, and not dealing with, you know, like, you know, we talked about race, but like what happens is I find a lot of people fight things. And when you fight something that you hate with a passion, we become the things we hate sometimes. Wow. And that's probably one of my biggest fears because I've seen it happen to other people. People, you know, fight racism so much, you know, for the black community and end up racist themselves, end up hating white people, you know, and we become the things we hate, you know, and and that's something that I struggle with, you know, because the world is is, just, is so ugly. It's so beautiful, yet so ugly. And my biggest fear is me being consumed by things that I fight and things that I stand against. So, like, my end goal is, like, I just want to, you know, 
be the best photographer I can be, the best person I can be. And then, you know, hopefully I just want to live free, you know, like without the shackles of civilization and being told to put clothes on. I want to, you know, walk around and with nothing on, you know, eating coconuts and shit and growing my own food and, <laughs> you know, living, you know, living a very simplistic life when it's all said and done, you know, no technology and just away from the rest of the world. That's how that's, that's going out with a bang for me, <laughs> man. Dude, that's powerful. That's really powerful. Um, I've got a few questions that I love to ask every single person on the show, and I want to just wrap up with those. The first question, how would you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world? Um, but I want to maybe even get more specific than that with you and be like, is there an activist or an activist that you look up to? The crazy thing is I don't look up to just like one activist because like all of us, you know, the beautiful thing about you know, activism and a lot of us, um, I respect certain things about activism, certain attributes that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I try to, the things that I like about them, I try to implement those into how I move and what I do. For instance, like I love Rudy Roy, who's an amazing photographer. Um, it was an honor that me and him were able to be in Aperture Magazine together and how he, when he takes images and the words that he puts, puts to them, inspires me to practice my writing. But he's amazing and he's very, you know, dedicated to the work. Um, even certain people, like even like a lot of mutual friends, like um, a good friend of mine is Malika. Her activism is a little bit more different. She, you know, she empowers women, you know, and I just think it's beautiful how far she goes to empower women. And Oh, I'm sure. But like um, a lot of them are just like friends. Like I don't agree with, with everyone you know, and the things that activists do. But I love, like I said, I love all of them just for what they do. Even if I don't agree with them, the fact that they can deal with some of the things like Jesse Williams, who just did the speech on BET, um, or like how he just yeah. was bold enough, you know, to get up there and say everything. And he said, regardless of the backlash he gets from the black community and the white community, you know, he still stood up there and said what he said. We have people like DeRay, who people love and some people hate. He's constantly attacked every day, but... He still keep going, regardless of what other people say. And I actually had a conversation with him about that. You know, how do you deal with that? Because that's something like me, when I came around, everyone loves me. I'm not stern as everybody else. I'm always willing to learn. And when I spoke out and I and I showed my support to the LGBT community because I have gay friends and how I said I was ignorant to their struggle, I got a lot of backlash for that. I got, like, hate emails and stuff like that. And I asked him, like, how do you – and, like, me, I'm tough. Like, I'm real, real tough. But it's like, I just don't understand how some people can't hate someone for, you know, supporting me, you know, for supporting other me. I just think everybody should be treated equal. I don't think none of us can pass yeah. judgment. But it's like, you have people that, you know, pass judgment and they can't, you know, I don't care what religion you, you come from or what's your sexual preference or if you, whatever, if you want to um, change your gender or, you know, I just want to love everybody. And then some people really can't handle that. So I actually had a conversation with DeRay about that. Um, Kendra Lamar, you know, who speaks on a lot of issues. He uses his he uses his music, who I love. And then um, probably one of my favorite, you know, activists is probably Gil Scott Heron and like Nina Simone, how they just were so verbal and so empowered and how Absolutely. much they love themselves and how, you know, they just spoke out on things, you know, and they also dealt with their own personal demons, but still spoke for so many people. And I think, People look up to certain people when I think people should start, you know, 
looking up, even though you might not agree with this person's political things. Like me, I'm not a politician. I don't like politics. I don't care for them. But people, we battle and fuss so much about how the other person is doing things. Like Even I find myself sometimes, I feel like some people should do more, but that's not my place, you know, to, to tell them to do more. And even my issue is if you're just doing the work, I don't care how you do the work. If you sit on Twitter all day and you decide Twitter is your, is your activism, you better tweet the shit out of those tweets. If you decide <laughs> that, if you decide that, you know, painting murals is your, your activism. Paint the shit out some murals. But when you do it, just do it and do it well and put your heart into it. You know, and that's the issue. If you're doing the work and your heart is in it, I respect you and I love you. What I don't respect is activists who perceive they do things and, and don't do things or do things in the hopes of gaining things. Yeah. And that's the only thing I don't agree with. But there's so many activists. I literally, you have, I have people in my city like Kwame Rose. Then you have, you know, different activists in New York. Their names are not coming up right now. And it's like, I might not like everything about them. You know, I might not even like them as a person. But if they're doing good work, I need to learn from yeah. them. We need to learn from each other. You know, and that's and that's the probably the most important thing that I have learned from being in being in and around the movement and a part of different movements and supporting different people. You know, like everybody has something to offer and no one should be, you know, disqualified at all by how they move, as long as they're just doing the work and they're doing it the right way. Man, well I love the way that you look up to the people who are working really, really hard at what they do and you're willing to learn from anybody. Um and I think there's something to be said for, you know, even if you don't agree with everything about a person, you can still learn from them. Um, I think that's one of the most important things in this conversation. Yeah, definitely. Because I have like Kwame Rose, you know, like Kwame Rose is like one of my close friends. We got close. We knew each other before the horizon, but we got close. And there's a lot of things that me and him don't agree on. You know, it's certain things that we do agree on. But like at the end of the day, we're both, you know, people forget that we're just ordinary people. You know, trying to do mm-hmm. trying to do extraordinary things to make change. You know, and sometimes things don't go as planned. Sometimes, you know, we're we're, we're newborns into this. You know, like I felt like through the uprising, I was reborn. So yeah. I'm running all over again. My my, I'm constantly growing and changing. I want people just to remember that when you are attacking, you know, people that you know are on the front lines or are in the media and they're trying to make everybody happy. You know, like it's very stressful. My second question for you is, what are you consuming that you love right now? Like, is there a book, a movie, a TV show, one thing that is making you stronger, spurring you forward, helping you learn, making you better at what you're doing? My journal. and my, my, I fell in love with Buddha and his teachings. And my thing is, like, I grew up, like, I always tell people, you know, like, I want peace, you know, like, but what is really peace? Like, it is tough because where I come from, I grew up around negativity. So, like, a lot of people don't agree with me when I say I want peace or I'm peaceful. And I and I want people to understand, like, I'm peaceful, but I'm not submissive. That's a good differentiation. Yeah, it's totally two different things. I want peace, yes. I will fight for it, you know, but I'm not submissive. I'm, but through Buddha, you know, I, I deal with my own issues. Like, like my nickname is Moody. I have anger problems. <laughs> like, I have a very short temper. <laughs> and I, and I, I fought... I, I had a Napoleon complex growing up because I'm not that tall. I'm not that big. So I fought my whole life. I had a lot of anger, you know, and a lot of things that I've been through. I had a lot of hate in me, you know, and I was able to dispel that hate with love, though, through meditation and, you know, learning my myself and my energy. So, like, the teachings of Buddha, like, and just, 
you know, learning how to understand love and how it works and understanding energy and chakras and understanding the universe. And that is kind of what kept me sane, you know, learning how to disconnect myself when need be, you know, understanding energy and reading, learning how to read people that mean you, mean you ill harm and they hide it very well. So I've really been digging into my spirituality, hardcore meditation, you know, down to the point where I, I carry my journal. And I have to write, you know, my emotions daily, you know, things that I struggle with, you know, because I like a lot of people won't speak on like me. I deal with depression and like a lot of people like don't speak up on, you know, mental illness in the community. And it's like, yo, and people get looked down and frowned upon for it. You know, some days I just feel sad for no, so no damn reason, you know, and it's like, why do I feel this way? So I've been like challenging, you know, myself just growing spiritually you know, and being able to speak on those things, because a lot of times, you know, we just hide those things. You know, we deal with it when we deal with it, but it accumulates. It gets worse. So, like, probably my biggest thing right now is, like, Buddha has helped me so much. Um, I can't never say his name right, but Yoga Nada. <laughs> uh, I believe that's how you say it. And there's different scholars um, based around the, the teachings of from yoga to the Dalai Lama to, you know, Buddha. You know, because like a lot of times, one thing I love about like the Dalai Lamas and a lot of, you know, philosophers that study Buddhism or come from that background, a lot of them don't, you know, down talk other religions. And I grew up a Christian, but it didn't never, Christianity, it resonates with me to a certain extent, but it doesn't resonate all the way with me because there's certain things that I just don't understand, you know, and I, I challenge those things every day and I deal with it, but Buddha has it got me through the uprising. When I want to hate someone, you know, I learn how to, you know, you know, hate is a heavy burden. So I actually, through Buddha, I learn how not to hate people. You know, it's a very, the carry around that negative energy every day, you know. And just trying to find a certain type of peace within myself, you know, that I, I struggle with daily. But, like, that's probably the biggest challenge, but it's probably the best thing that I finally feel connected to the universe. And I'm finally, like, awake and I'm starting to understand things and why my, my mind and my, my soul, you know, interacts with people in different ways. Man, that's absolutely fascinating. I love the way that you're being open and real about, you know, depression and the way that it can affect us. And also the way that you're just getting in touch with who you are and your you know, understanding your feelings and putting them down and, and then to be like real and raw on like a podcast about that. Like, that's awesome, man. Thank you. The last question that I want to ask you is based on the ways that you've chosen to step out and live your life differently. What's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life? And I know I would imagine for a lot of people, they're like, man, I want to be like Devin Allen. I want to make a difference. We've talked about this before. Like probably the way that they shouldn't do that is to hop on a plane out to Baltimore or, you know, wherever a future protest is and try to do the same thing. You know, what would you encourage somebody to do to step out and live differently in their own lives? Yeah. You definitely don't want to hop on a plane. Just come to Baltimore. <laughs> like a lot of, a lot of people hit me up like, yo, I'm coming to Baltimore. And it's like, you know, like I said, I'm a very spiritual person. Like I have to fill you out before I hang out with you or, you know, it, I don't, it's before I take you through my community or link you up with like stuff like that. I get requests to come to other parts of the, the, the United States to document things. And I tell people, you know, at the end of the day, you, I, I gave you the formula, you know, on how to, you know, get the, get the message out there. Do what I did. I, I shouldn't have to do it for you. I gave you the formula, you know, go do it. But one thing I will say, anybody that wants to make change, it starts with you. 
you can go out here and do try to do all these magnificent things if you want. You will crumble if you don't have enough self-love and self-understanding. We have demons. We have, let's deal with those demons first. You know, let's take care of yourself first. You know, that's the most important thing because you can't take care of yourself. How are you going to take care of other people? If you want to inspire other people, you have to stay inspired. You know, what happens is, is like we, we, a lot of us, you know, we want to help everybody and everything that comes across our plate. And one thing I learned is you, without self-care, if you're not taking care of, you're going to take yourself out of the game before you even make mm. those changes. It's activists out here who commit suicide, you know, because it's just too much because they're not taking care of themselves. So I encourage everybody, before you jump in the pond and want to start changing everything, make sure your mental health, your spiritual health and everything is aligned and ready to go. Like mine, I wasn't ready to go and I, when I crumbled because of it. And I still struggle with it. But I find is when I, I have, you know, my stuff is in order, my life is in order. It might not be all order. It's not scooty clean. It's not perfect. But when I'm at my best, that's when I do the best work. So self-care, learn how to self-love. A lot, a lot of us don't understand what that is. And when you think about it, don't just think like, oh, I love myself. I'm going to give myself a hug. That's not the case. Everything from your diet to how you interact with people, how you wake up in the morning. It's, you know, some people wake up, let's call it waking up on the side, or the wrong, wrong side of the bed. But if you're doing that every day, almost every other day, something is wrong. You know, even down, even down to your own personal love life. Like, get try to get, you know, those things in order. Because at the end of the day, once you, you know, and in, you're interacting with a lot of people, you're sucking in energy. I don't care if you believe it or not, it's real. If you are around negative people all the time, you will feel that. And when you're fighting this fight, you know, you, you need to make sure that you, this fight is a long fight. So make sure you're taken care of so you can be around for the long haul. You don't want to come around and be this magnificent person and die too early, <laughs> you know, and they, and they, because you didn't take care of yourself. Yeah. Self-care. Love yourself. Man, make a difference by, uh, by taking care of yourself and it starts with you. I love that. Devin is absolutely one of a kind. You can follow along with his photography and his community work at by Devin Allen on Instagram and Twitter. And it's actually spelled out without any vowels by Devin Allen. You can also buy his beautiful photo book, A Beautiful Ghetto, wherever books are sold. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. If you enjoyed this episode, I think you'd also love our conversations with fellow activist, DeRay McKesson, whose episode we actually just recently aired, as well as our conversation with somebody who gives back to his community in incredible ways, Cody Goldberg. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you hit subscribe to keep on getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered to your phone. And if you're a regular listener, if you're already a subscriber, please consider supporting the show by sharing about this on your Instagram stories or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people connect with the show, which allows us to bring on more and more amazing guests. This podcast was created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michaels Navely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are shaping the world for the better. It's a real-life newspaper, and you can order it today. You can check it out 
see what else we do at good 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 at goodgoodgood.co and on that note that is a wrap for this week's episode go out and do some good this week and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person sound good